My Redeemer, your Redeemer, our Redeemer lives. It's just not an Easter story. We're getting close to Easter, but it's just not an Easter story. It's an everyday story of our lives. How many believe that? That our Redeemer lives in the high places in our lives and the lowest places in our lives. God is still God on the throne. No matter what we have a need of, whatever you're going through, God is still God. Man, I take comfort in that this morning. Uh, I love this story. I know it's probably not a true one, but I still like it anyway. I heard about these two Roman soldiers that were standing outside the empty tomb, and the one looks at his buddy, and he says, man, we're dead meat. He said, what are we going to do now? The other guy looked at him and says, it's no sweat, man. He said, don't worry about it. A year from now, no one's even going to remember this. Well, 2,000 plus years later, not only do we remember it, we celebrate it. We celebrate what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. Last week, we started a sermon series on the last seven sayings of Jesus while He hung, dying on a cross. If you were here last week, you knew that the first thing that we uh, talked about Jesus saying was actually a prayer of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, this week we're going to look at the second thing he said on the cross. It's a promise where he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. We're not sure how much time lapsed between these two sayings. It could have been a few minutes. It could have been a few hours. But if you're hanging torturously dying on a cross, it was probably like several days uh, in his agony. We've all heard the saying, time flies when you're having fun, Right? Well, not so much in this case. How many know that time drags on ever so slowly when you're hurting, when you're miserable, when you're in pain, when you're suffering? And we know that Jesus was definitely suffering physically upon that cross, but he wasn't just suffering physically. I'm sure he was uh, suffering emotionally. He was being mocked by the very people that he loved. We've all seen the pictures of the three crosses in a row at Calvary. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ film or if you've seen uh, Jesus of Nazareth, you've seen those three crosses lined up with Jesus in the middle. And when I see that cross of Christ in the middle, I see a choice that God is actually offering us symbolically, I believe, by those crosses being laid out like they were, a choice. We all have a choice that God offers us. One of those criminals off, uh, hanging on that cross beside Jesus he remained hostile toward God through the whole thing, all the way to the end. The other thief cried out for God's mercy. And the difference of the outcome between those two possible choices was like night and day. Let me read what I read last week, Luke 23, verse 32. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So you get the picture. There's three crosses, these guys on their three crosses, in a row on a hill at Calvary with Jesus in the middle. Have you ever wondered why they put Jesus in the middle? I don't believe it was an accident, and I've kind of given some of that away already. But he was hanging between these two criminals. If I was a centurion in charge of the crucifixion, I would have probably, common sense would have told me, put Jesus off to the side, put the two criminals together, or beside each other, uh, because they were partners in crime. Well, it didn't happen that way. We know the story. Jesus was put in the center. Maybe one reason was because they wanted to humiliate him all they could. Maybe their thoughts were, maybe uh, this would be Messiah, since he loves sinners so much. 
Why don't we just crucify him between two of them? Why don't we just make it as humiliating as we can? Well, what they didn't know they were actually doing was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse 12 says that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. So Jesus not only died among the criminals, he died as one of the criminals. And God had decreed that he who was most holy would die beside those that were most unholy. Remember from last week, verse 34, where Jesus, uh, the first thing he said was a uh, prayer of forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Look at verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was, written, there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. You know, that sign had been placed above Jesus' head that read, this is the king of the Jews. All the while, that mob below him mocked him, railed on him to come down from the cross if he really was the king of the Jews. They laughed at him. They mocked him. The other gospel, uh, gospels actually record that not only was one thief joining in with the railing, they were both railing upon Jesus with the crowd. It says in Matthew 27, 44, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. So get the picture. These mockers are mocking him and getting wilder by the minute. They're screaming viciously with vicious hatred for Jesus, saying, if you are God, save yourself. But when you think about what they were saying and what Jesus was doing, the thing is, saving himself was the only thing Jesus couldn't do if he planned on keeping to God's plan and fulfilling God's mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Guess who belongs to that crowd? You and I belong to that crowd. He came to save us. And he couldn't save us if he had saved himself from the cross. So listen, Jesus kept silent. The Bible says he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. So Jesus kept silent in the face of all this cruelty and this pain while the countdown clock to his death just kept on ticking. But something happened. Something amazing happened. One of these thieves hanging next to him had a change of heart. And he starts actually standing up for Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 40. It says, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. He's standing up for Jesus while he is also dying on the cross. What caused this thief to have a change of heart? Maybe it was because he looked at Jesus and saw the torture he was enduring, the mocking, the, the insults he was enduring. And yet when Jesus had a chance to do something and say something, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Maybe that changed his heart. Maybe it was that the fact that uh, everything went dark in the middle of the day. Maybe it was the stories and testimonies that they had, the, this thief had heard from so many people that this man touched lepers when no one else would touch lepers. Or this man ate with sinners, kind of like the thief himself. Or this man didn't condemn the woman that was caught in adultery. But maybe, just maybe, somehow, he saw the way Jesus faced death that convinced him that Jesus really was who he said he was. Maybe his heart was changed because he looked up and he saw that sign and he read that sign, this is the king of the Jews. 
You know why they put that sign up there was to mock Jesus even more. It was sarcastic. I mean, they were making fun of Jesus. Everyone was mocking him about being the king, yet being punished with the criminals. But I believe that this criminal hanging next to Jesus Christ on the cross looked up and saw that sign, looked over to see Jesus, listened to Jesus, seeing all that had been insulted and hurled at Jesus, and yet Jesus' words were, Father, forgive them. I believe that criminal looked at that sign and all of a sudden had a sense that this might be true. This man might exactly be who this sign says he is, the king of the Jews. I might say that was probably the first gospel tract ever put out there. Amen. That big sign, life-size sign. And I know that day it made a lot of difference in that thief's life. I also want to note that that thief, his plea wasn't to be released. It wasn't even for release. He wasn't praying to Jesus. He wasn't asking for Jesus to get him down from the cross. He wasn't asking Jesus to give him a high position of power or authority. He wasn't asking for Jesus to give him a high place in his kingdom. No, this repentant thief, all he wanted was to be remembered. All he wanted was a little bit of mercy that he knew definitely he didn't deserve. It was much like that prayer that many of us have heard the publican read in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, where it says, Who would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven? but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, this whole thing about Jesus being in the middle was strategic. God had planned it purposely and perfectly. Since Jesus' cross was placed between the two thieves, guess what? Both thieves could hear what Jesus was saying. Both thieves could hear what Jesus was praying. Both thieves could look up and read that sign, this is the king of the Jews. Both thieves could hear Jesus, his voice, and, and uh, uh, realize the sincereness of forgiving those that were wounding him, those that were hurting him. His love for them was genuine. And if Jesus hadn't been in the middle and he had been on the end and the thieves had been on middle and end, that thief on the end might not have seen what he needed to see or heard what he needed to hear. But when I think about where God placed Jesus right in the center, it was so that both could hear, so that both could see, so that both could receive, so that both could make a choice. I believe that was God's mercy shining out. God's mercy and God's grace. And maybe just that one thief finally opened his eyes and saw a God of a second chance. And maybe he thought, well, I can't make a difference now. It's too late for that. Not for this life, but maybe for eternity. And he went with that. Listen to what it says in verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't stop everything that was going on and say, wait a minute, son, you've got to get down from that cross and go get baptized. Jesus didn't say, you've got to get down from that cross and go join the right church. Jesus didn't say, you've got to do all the traditional things that many churches say you've got to do to get saved. There wasn't time for that. All Jesus said, simply, today, you will be with me. In paradise, God's Holy Spirit, without a doubt, was drawing this man unto Jesus. And this man responded by believing in Jesus. And when he did, he made that all-important request. And Jesus responded to that all-important request with a cry of assurance for this guy. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gave that criminal far more than he expected. Not only was he going to be remembered by Jesus, he was going to be with Jesus. And not just for that day, not just for that moment, but for eternity. 
There wouldn't be any soul sleeping going on. There wouldn't be any purgatory. I really don't read where the Bible even really genuinely talks about that. But it does talk about what Jesus said. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise that same day. Paul wrote to us and said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord that same day. I believe today with all of my heart, there are going to be some of you that are going to receive this message. God's going to do a miracle in your heart. He's going to do a miracle in your, your mind, a miracle in your soul. You're going to call on Christ. You're going to call on ask His forgiveness, and God's going to forgive you for everything you've done. You're going to be totally transformed. You're going to be renewed spiritually. Your life on earth and life for eternity is going to be forever changed. But the person right next to you might hear the whole sermon have the same needs in their life, be given the same opportunity, and they're going to leave here saying, uh, sermon's over, check, uh, where are we going for lunch? Nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to change in their life. So when I see these three crosses, it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of choice with Jesus in the middle. Both of these thieves had the same need. They had the same opportunity. One was transformed. The other leaves exactly the same. With that said, which cross are you going to choose? Which choice are you going to make today? Number one, the cross of rejection. That criminal that hung on that cross and hurled insults at Jesus and didn't change his heart. That choice to reject him brought two death sentences on him that day. Yes, of course, he was dying physically, but he was also dying in his transgressions and his sins. He was dying spiritually. So even though this man was hanging next to Jesus, saw how Jesus responded to the crowds, how Jesus responded to the soldiers, how Jesus even responded to him, still denied God. Reminds me of how some people can be so close to the truth as this guy was and still find a way to reject it, still find a way to deny it. I heard a story about this man that went in to get his hair cut one day. He was sitting in the chair having a great conversation with the barber. Um, when all of a sudden the topic shifted to God, and all of a sudden the barber got upset, and he says, you know, I don't even believe God exists. The guy in the chair said, well, why? He says, all you have to do is go out onto the streets and look around. He said, if God exists, why is there sickness? He said, if God is it, uh, exists, why are children abandoned? If God exists, why is there so much pain and suffering in our world? And rather than to get into an argument with the guy, the guy in the chair just kept quiet. Paid the barber after his haircut, walked out, ran smack dab into a guy with, a long, with long hair, a beard. He was dirty. He was unkept. All of a sudden, a light bulb came on in this guy's mind, and he marched himself back into the barbershop, looked at the barber, and says, you know, I don't believe barbers exist. The guy looked at him and, and uh, said, what do you mean? You're crazy. He said, I'm a barber, and I just gave you a haircut 15 minutes ago. Well, he said, well, if barbers exist... Why are there guys out on the street with long hair and beards? The barber looked at him and said, well, that's simple. They just refuse to come in. He said, my point exactly. God, too, exists. There's just people on the streets that refuse to come in. Before Christ, before you and I accepted Jesus Christ into our heart to be Lord and Savior of our life, the Bible tells us that we were all spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. All of us in the same situation. All guilty. Romans 3.23 says, for all, all have sinned, yes, and come short of the glory of God. He doesn't leave anyone out there. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. This thief railing against Jesus on the cross didn't realize the fact that the door to heaven 
was hanging right next to him. He didn't realize that the door and opportunity for heaven was right there next to him. And instead of seeing Jesus for who he was, he mocked Jesus. He insulted Jesus. He blasphemed Jesus. He was suffering the agony, and I'm sure it was agony of being crucified. But all he could see was his pain. There was no repentance involved. There was no asking for forgiveness involved. He was just focused on his current situation. And when I think of that situation, I see a whole world full of people that are kind of in that same situation. We have more of an earthly perspective than we do a heavenly perspective. We have more of an earthly right now mentality than we do a heavenly eternal mentality. But he looks at Jesus and he says, if thou be the Christ, save yourself and save us. What he didn't realize, that was why Jesus was there in the first place. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. And the bottom line is this man didn't see a need to choose Jesus. He was guilty. He deserved the punishment. So this morning, let me say with what I've said so far, we're all guilty. We deserve the punishment. But do you see your need this morning? When it comes to sin, I think a lot of us are in denial. We don't want to admit that we have made mistakes and we're sinners. We try about everything we can to make our sin as acceptable as we can or cover it up as much as we can. And our favorite ploy is actually to compare ourselves to someone else so that we can say, at least I'm not as bad as they are. The only problem with that is other people aren't your standard. God's your standard. God's Word is your standard. Truth is, a lot of people say, you know, I don't see a need for Jesus because I'm a pretty good person. I don't do really bad things. I've done a lot of good things. Um, I've never killed anybody. That's pretty good. I'm not as bad as that New York mayor. I'm not bad as uh, other people. I'm not as bad as anyone else. Not bringing politics into this. I just thought the mayor sounded right. But he says, I pay my taxes uh, at least most of the time. So I should be right with God. I should be saved. Let me just say this. Look, if being good was good enough to get you into heaven, why would God have to send His sinless, perfect Son to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven? Why would He have to do that? It's because we're not good enough. It's because we'll never be good enough. The second choice is the cross of redemption. It's where we realize that there's nothing you and I could ever do, no matter if we worked a lifetime to do it and try to accomplish it, accomplish it that could earn our way to God, that could earn our salvation. Because it's only through his sacrificial love and his sacrificial blood shed on that cross that you and I have been given the opportunity to be called sons and daughters of the Most High, to be forgiven of our sins, and to be saved for eternity. And it only comes by accepting his grace. Amen? God's grace is a powerful thing. I heard a story about a little boy that was always getting in trouble in school. Well, once again, he was sent down to the principal's office, and he had been there so many times he knew the routine. When he got in there, he said, let's get this punishment over with, and he held out his hands to be smacked by the belt from the principal. The principal looked at him and says, no, son. He said, we're going to do something different today. I'm going to show you a little bit about grace. The little boy looked up at him and says, I don't know what grace is, and I don't want to know what grace is. The principal looked at him and said, I'm going to tell you what it is anyway, son. It's unmerited favor. You can't earn it. It's a gift. It's freely given. And it means that you're not going to get the punishment that you deserve today. All of a sudden, this little boy's eyes got real big and says, you're not going to whip me? He says, uh, you're going to let me walk? No punishment at all? The principal says, oh, no, there has to be punishment. What you did was wrong. And there's always consequences to our wrong actions. He says, grace is not an excuse to keep doing wrong. 
The boy said, I knew it. He held out his hands again. He just knew he was going to get whipped. At that moment, the teacher that brought the little boy into the room, the principal looked over at him and said, get the belt, bring the belt over. He looked at the little boy and he says, all I want you to do is count the blows. This principal held out his hands. And all he said to the teacher was, begin. And the teacher wrapped across the principal's hands. The little boy kind of jumped back, shocked what was going on, and he said, one. Rap came the belt again on the principal's hands. Two. Rap came the uh, belt again on the principal's hands. Three. And then rap four, rap five, rap six, and about rap seven. This little boy's face, uh, eyes welled up with tears, and tears started running down his face, and about uh, blow eight. He said, wait a minute, stop this. He says, I'm guilty. I'm the one that did this. I deserve the punishment, not him. Rap across the hands of the principal one more time. And number ten. And it was finally over. The principal looked down at that little boy who was bawling his eyes out. He looked down at him and he said, Son, took his red swelled hands and put them on the little boy's face and said, Son, this is what grace is. This is what grace is. Think about our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace came to you and I through Jesus Christ of Nazareth who took our punishment on that cross that we deserved. He took it. He took it for us. His back was whipped for the idols that we bent our backs to. His hands were nailed for the things that we have put our hands to. His feet were nailed to that cross for the things and the paths that we've taken, the wrong paths in life. He wore a crown of thorns for the things that we've lent our minds to. And a spear was driven into His heart for all the things wrong that we've held in our hearts. You know, life has a lot of choices. Life has a limitless amount of choices, but eternity has two. Which one are you going to choose today? I remember early in the ministry, we didn't have a cross uh, in here, and I built this cross over here. When I built that cross, after I got done, and I think if I remember right, it was mainly when I was driving those railroad spikes into that cross, into that cross beam, that all of a sudden I had this humbling sense that it shouldn't have been Jesus hanging on that cross. It should have been me. It should have been me. He had done nothing wrong. I had done everything wrong. And it should have been me. But God, through His grace, had a different plan. You know, if it was possible for me to save myself, That would have happened a long time ago. It's not possible. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church where I felt like I had to earn my salvation. I felt like I had to be good enough. I I thought I had to pray the right prayers, do the right things. And as hard as I tried, I never could do it. As hard as I tried, I fell short every time. And finally one day, what I felt building that cross that day actually I realized it had happened years, years, years earlier. I remember one day in 1979 hearing a, prayer, hearing a preacher preach the truth about salvation. And in that moment, before he hardly got the words out of his mouth, I was down at the altar. And I gave my heart to Christ and I realized that no matter how good I was, even if I'd been in church my whole life, I was never going to be good enough. I was never going to ever be able to earn my way to God through good works. Because as I said earlier, if that had been possible, God 
wouldn't have had to send his son to live a sinless life, to die a brutal death, shed his blood on the cross for me. And that day when I went down and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I had this awesome knowing in my heart that Jesus went through all that for me. He took every blow for me. He took every insult for me. A crime was committed against him. And he had never committed a crime against anyone. And when I say again, for me, he did that, I'm just one of a world full of people. Jesus has done it for you. Jesus has done it for me. The other day, my son Austin was in here, and I looked at my son Austin, who's grown up, he's taller than I am now, which doesn't take much. <laughs> but I looked at my son Austin, and I looked at that cross. And I thought what God must have felt in his heart to see his son die that way. I can't imagine me being a father and seeing my son die that kind of death on a cross. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves me. And you know something? You can never ever be made right with God with your good works as hard as we try. That doesn't mean you should stop trying. But that means that's not the answer to salvation. It's receiving the grace that God has offered through the cross and through His Son, Jesus Christ, that was willing to go. He was willing to lay His life down because of His love for you and me. We could never do it or achieve it by works. It's impossible. It's only through grace. And it's only through faith in Him. Could you stand your feet this morning? And could you bow your hearts in prayer? You know, I believe there are many of you that God has brought specifically for this moment. I believe some of you are like me. You've gone to church growing up thinking you had to earn your way. Thinking, well, I hope I didn't do too many bad things. I hope I've done enough good things to cancel out the bad things. I hope I'm good enough. But I pray that you realize today that you're not. You never will be. There's not a single person in here or in this world that's good enough. None of us, all of us, have fallen short of God's standard. But here's the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross to us. God, through Jesus Christ, stepped in the middle. He bridged the gap. He made up that gap. The perfect Son of God shed His blood, perfect blood, so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be given life, not only here, but forever. I'm sure many of you have stood wondering sometimes, where do I stand with God? And how will I ever know? I believe today you're going to throw yourself on the mercy of God with a prayer right where you're at in your own words to God who is listening right now. You're going to ask Him to forgive you and every sin that you've ever committed is going to be forgiven. He's going to step into your life and you're going to be filled with His Holy Spirit and you're never ever going to be the same. I can't encourage you enough if you've never made that decision to make that decision today. You know, you and I, are one of two thieves on a cross today. We have a choice to make. Which choice are you going to make? Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that people all over this room, whether or not they've already made you Lord and Savior, are coming closer to your heart this moment in a simple prayer saying, God, I need you. Maybe for the first time, and maybe they're saying, God, I need you more. But Father God, I pray that they would ask for your forgiveness and that you would forgive them completely and totally that you would step into their lives. That, Father God, 
you would help us to become like that repentant thief upon that cross. To see, like we've never seen before, what you were willing to do for us because of the love that sent you to the cross. Help us to get real and honest with you today. And help us to see your love for us in such a way that we surrender our all over to you. Not just for today while I'm right here, but for forever. Give us your strength to walk in your strength and walk in this newness of life that you've given us today. Today and forever to serve you, to magnify you, and to glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen with me. And can we give Jesus just a hand clap of praise for a few seconds? Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, for your grace, your love, your peace, your joy. Go in God, go in His peace, and be a witness to the world. God bless you.